Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. fun she went she did a, a mailbag she ran she did an honorable quest and ran a mailbag from one place to another uh but she got ambushed by a bunch of npcs it was hard to tell if they were npcs or not uh but they were well she kept running delivering and it was a coincidence but right after she had run into those npcs she kept running and then like local voice chat came on so now she could hear these two guys who were like clearly trying to find somebody and i was like oh I don't know if they were those people, but I bet these people are going to – I bet they're talking about you. And she's like, what? No. And she just – she absolutely didn't believe me. I was like, they're obviously – they're going to try to kill you. And, uh, you know, she's running around this – by the geography that they're describing, it's funny hearing what they're saying. And then, like, Lizzie doesn't, isn't catching on to any of this, but I'm like, oh, this, they're talking about this bend that you just went around, you know. Oh, you're about to go to Blackwater. Oh, yeah, yeah, they are talking about you. And sure enough, she, like, she finished this, like, eight-minute mailbag run with literally one second left. It was pretty cool. But she delivers it, like, throws the mail down, and, like, the second the mail hits it, it's like, quest completed. <laughs> <laughs> and just drive by, just in the middle of Blackwater. <laughs> and, dude, she was mad. Like, she was interested in doing the quests and stuff. She was not interested in the multiplayer. And I was like, maybe you should just play single player, you know? So she tried her first experience or was Red Dead Online? Pretty much. Okay. Because she, has, she hasn't gotten off the mountain yet. So oh, okay. she hasn't even, yeah. you know. Experienced a lot of the yeah. content, yeah. Uh, but that that was funny. So I thought she was going to be mad. I mean, I thought she was going to dislike the game because she she was pretty upset about that. She was not happy about it. Um, but you just come right back. I don't I don't see she didn't lose anything, but she also didn't have anything. Well, I assume there has to be some sort of consequences, right? Like you lose money. There have to be. Uh, I know that people can lose things. I just don't know how it works. Yeah. I I watched some Fallout seventy six, uh, a quick look of it when it first came out and. In there, like, you die and you lose just, like, a random percentage of any of your stuff that you're not, like, wearing. Um, and then if you die again, like, Dark Souls style, it just disappears. I don't know if, if Red Dead works like that. It would make sense to me that it would. It seems like an easy way to do it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, the thing, something that's actually frustrated me with the single player, and it seems like this, the multiplayer is the same, is when people commit crimes, like, the cops do not care. The police do not care. It kills me in single player that I know Driscoll will start shooting at me in town. No one cares. And if I shoot him back now, it's a crime. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, I understand from a gameplay perspective that, you know, yeah. Okay. Role playing and stuff, but look, he's shooting in the middle. It's in the middle of the street. Stop him. Like I was hoping I could, my plan was I was baiting him. So he'd shoot at me thinking that the cops would come get him that, you know, he'd get in a gunfight with the law. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't run into that. Um, I've run into a million times accidentally running into someone with my horse. Murder. And, yeah, I'm I am just in so much trouble. I'm like, it doesn't even give you the opportunity to, like, talk your way out of it, right? Like, mm-hmm. the sheriff should be like, hey, why did you do that? It's like, she was like this when I came here. Yeah. Like, so like, I walked up and she was just dead. This person know. darted in front of my horse while I was riding through the main street. Like, what am I supposed to do here? But, no, now I have people shooting at me from, like, every direction. It's it's like, how often does that happen in this town? <laughs> right. Like they have some sort of like crazy law against like letting your horse touch someone. Even in even when you're riding, I just have big problems with control of the horse, I guess, because even on like missions, all the missions where you just have to like follow the team out to the destination and there's all this dialogue. I'm constantly running into all my teammates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and like, like it hey! takes like, yeah. like three bullets to kill somebody and then the horse is just like, yeah, that's the instant fucking <laughs> Yeah. slaughter weapon uh you know i was thinking about it i've been playing a little horizon uh recently my girlfriend 
just beat the whole game, like the real game. She beat Frozen Wilds a little while ago, but she for real beat the game uh, on Saturday. And uh, I've been thinking about that. I've been thinking about a lot of the things that I like about that game, even though I'm personally at the start of it. And one of my favorite things is how good strafing feels because anywhere I move, I feel like I can see everything. I feel like Aloy more or less moves exactly where I want her to. I'm not fumbling around Witcher style. You know, I it feels good. And I think the reason that is is that you're you're pretty much never in the middle of your your screen, especially when you're walking or you know, really when you're running. You're off kind of to the side. Uh, and that allows you to really see what's in front of you and have a good, you know, that's the benefit of having a third person perspective instead of a first person. Mm-hmm. You really feel like you can tell what's around you. And uh, I, I remember when I was growing up on first-person shooters, I never understood why my friend kept saying, well, I feel like I just can't see anything. I, I don't like shooters because I can't see anything. I was like, what are you talking about? Because I was used to it. But when, once I took a step back and like once I found a game that could adjust my field of view and then I went to a game that couldn't, I finally understood like, oh, unless you've got like surround sound and you, your sensitivity is way up so you can just spin around all the time it is hard to see what's going on around you and i think red dead could benefit from some of the stuff that horizon does uh because especially when i'm strafing or if i'm trying to do stuff on my horse i don't feel like i can see everything and i don't feel like i'm moving where i want to go uh i know that steering a horse is different than you know walking on two legs but something's got to give because i will say riding that horse is funny and novel and frustrating Yep. Well, and as you level it up, you can, as you level up your horse bonding, you can uh, unlock advanced maneuvers. Yeah, rear back. Yeah, but none of that really helps. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm still struggling to find the opportunity to use any of that. Yeah. Like, you can strafe with your horse. You can, like, sort of side to side. Oh, you can? Yeah. Pretty sure that's the first thing you unlock. Yep. Oh. Sort of Mm sidestepping. But, like, yeah. Yeah. You're never going to use it. Because you're only ever running and gunning, I feel like. Oh, I did see, uh, well, when Lizzie got gunned down one of those times, uh, there were two people on a horse, one person driving it and one person shooting. So that's kind of cool, but too bad she was on the receiving end of it. <laughs> All right, you want to pause it and we'll start it off. All right, uh, let's get this thing on the road. Uh, welcome to uh, our podcast, Gamer Heroes. That's it. <laughs> Episode 72. My favorite uh, number. I've always said that. Yeah. There's some significance to the number 72, right? Is it, it's is it how many virgins factor. we get in heaven? Or Yeah, sure. Oh, right? 72? Man, it seems like more than I can handle. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Agreed. You don't hear that a lot, but the truth. Well, I don't know if it's, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know if it's at the same time. Look, at, at a certain point, I'm trying to take it easy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that sounds like work. 70, and, 72 is for a lush. <laughs> I guess I'm not going that. down this path. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, what's what's going on, guys? How was everybody's weekend? The uh, we had the break, Thanksgiving. Woo! Yeah, everybody loves Thanksgiving and dealing with family for a whole week. Yeah, dude, it's cool. Eating. I uh, um, I mean, we've been off for a while, so I, I, I could have had a whole episode about just like. Co-op gaming. I did a whole bunch of gaming over uh, Thanksgiving weekend. I, I played Swords of Ditto, which is a cool co-op game, hmm. two-player. Uh, I what did I do? I played a bunch of Horizon. I played. I picked up Doom. I picked up the a whole one? bunch of stuff. The new Doom. Yeah, 2016. Yeah. And uh, I, I picked up like Spider-Man, God of War, Horizon. Oh, you finally you did all the big ones. Huh? All the big ones. They were super on sale. You're so. trying to figure out what what is game of the year after all. Oh, oh no, no, no! I'm not going to get to some of those games till halfway through next year. Uh, but I, I bought. Uh, I was looking for Wolfenstein. I knew that was on sale, uh, but I found a Wolfenstein Doom bundle for 28 bucks. So I basically paid eight dollars for Doom. That game rocks. Yeah, it that is game super is fun. dope. Okay, I haven't played the 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 very newest one. It's awesome. I, I bought. I I played the one that came uh, ended up coming on to. Um, it's either Games with Gold or or the other the other service. I assume it was Doom Three. I mean, uh, yeah, Doom Three is the only Doom 3, one no, I no, no, I had no. played. Thought so it was like a, a couple of years ago. 
There was one in between Doom 3 and... Well, I don't know. I thought they just released one. Or they just announced one. Not that I know of. Mm-mm. They have they have Doom... I mean, they, uh, ju- they just released one on the Switch, which was the one that released a couple years ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's so that one was free. Sure. Like, yeah, that's that's on the, the best value the, I've ever heard. Well, it's on the, uh, the paid service, um, the $10 a month Microsoft, um, whatever it's called, game... That pass, is game that pass. is a game I knowing what I know now, I would have paid sixty dollars for that game. So I would have actually paid sixty dollars for that. Everybody game. went crazy about that game, but I downloaded it and played it and I don't know, I got bored really fast. Oh man, I man, had a lot of fun with it. Boredom is like the last problem I think I could have. So I mean fast I was crushing paced. like I was yeah, it was very fast and like the run and gun was solid, but uh I don't know, just like head crushing imps all over the place got really boring Well, after, you gotta like, get past the imps. Well, Maybe yeah. I didn't even get past I get, the imps. I get oh, lucky I, when I see imps now because I'm like, ooh, this is like easy. <laughs> yeah, huh? I, I don't know. Maybe I, I probably quit too fast. <laughs> I didn't make – I mean, I, I think I made it through the first level. Not the first, like, you know, map, but like the first section of maps. What? You know what I mean? Wait, so did you know. complete a level? I don't know. Oh, man. I don't know. I got so bored crushing imps' heads <laughs> that I was just like, never mind. There aren't even enough imps to get bored oh, with. Oh, there were a ton of imps. And then they're like, oh, surprise, more imps. Yeah. That's pretty much how that game was. I was like, it sucks. Anyway, I'm sure it's great, but man. that was my experience. One of the cool things about it is that while you're playing the game, you can actually unlock retro maps. So, like, That's maps cool. from, like, the first Doom. Well, it felt like the whole first section was pretty similar to one of the to the original I don't know. Maybe maybe it wasn't. Just kind of maybe it was just to, to look and feel more than it was. Oh, I mean, you know what he like? The classic ones look like. Yeah. A classic. classic yeah. yeah. There's no doubt. There's just absolutely sprite. no doubt. Uh, but yeah, so that stuff's good. Uh, I mean, I could talk all about that, but I'll save that for another time. Um, but I played a ton of games over Thanksgiving break, which is pretty nice. Um, but another thing I actually did leading up to Thanksgiving break, uh, which is what I want to talk about today is uh, I have a good friend of mine, Josh. Uh, Josh is, I believe, 28 years old, so he's right our age. And he just had a stroke. He just had a stroke uh, a couple months ago. And that's insane. Mm-hmm. He is that's like, young. That's so young. Mm-hmm. And uh, Josh has always been a very funny guy. We've, um, you know, we, we really like our indie games and goofy shit. And, uh, you know, like... This, so, I have always been a big proponent of accessible gaming. I like from day one, especially having a brother with autism. Uh, there are plenty of reasons why accessibility is great for everybody, not just people who have any form of disability. Uh, so when Josh, you know, got his phone back in the hospital uh, and was asking me, he said, "You know what? What are my gaming options?" I was like, "Oh man, I have been waiting to help someone <laughs> with this knowledge." Like. I, I love looking at this stuff, and I love championing uh, organizations, charities, and developers uh, who really make a priority to do this stuff. And it's great to say that, like, right now, we are on, like, an exponential curve of gaming accessibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's It's gotten easier and easier as hardware has um, become a little more advanced and but also universal. Having something like... Uh, Microsoft has this amazing controller I'll talk about uh, that's wonderful, but especially because um, it works on your Xbox One and your PC, and it is recognized as a native controller. It's not recognized as some third-party thing that mm-hmm. has to be patched. Yeah, like, they, they worked really hard on that. Yeah, so so when you plug that into your system, it's going to work. It doesn't matter if the, the developer of a game mm-hmm. intended for it to work. It will work. So that way, uh, gamers don't have to disabled gamers don't have to feel like an afterthought. Um, you know, I, I I watched a bunch of YouTube videos on on this uh, from people who are disabled themselves, from charities who represent uh, disabled gamers, from reps at Microsoft and Sony in particular. And the takeaway that I agree with uh, was was that when you are looking at accessibility, you have to tackle that in planning not in patching. You have to think of this stuff before you start designing and figure out, like, here's here's something we're doing that's great. We should try to, you know, we should keep in mind why this is so good and apply that practice to the other things we have that maybe aren't so good. Um, an- another big thing is, uh, you know, a philosophy that 
I've really come to know a lot in the past few years is you never know what you don't know. When, when you try to make assumptions on what people's needs are, you're probably going to miss the mark, probably. Um, a lot of people want their voice heard, and all you have to do is ask them. You know, so uh, not only making these games more accessible, but having, um, having organizations that are interested in having those people's voices heard. You know, being in any minority can be hard uh, when you feel like people aren't listening to you. But when the nature of the minority you are a part of is that you're disabled, that's, it makes it even harder for you to speak for yourself. Um, so anyway, all this stuff has gotten me really excited. I went and read all these uh, articles, all this good stuff. And um, first and foremost, if, if you've never, if there's anything you take away from this, it's that you should go check out the Xbox, the Microsoft Adaptive Controller, because that is the new gold standard uh, that came out this year. Have, or Yeah, yeah, it came out this yeah. year. Have you guys seen that? Do you mm-hmm. know what it is? Yeah, actually, uh, <clears throat> I haven't really followed the development or anything, but I definitely you know saw a bunch of articles about it as it was being developed and whatnot. Thought it was very cool. Uh, unrelated, I, I just saw a commercial um, on TV yesterday or the day before. Um, I don't know if it was advertising that specifically, but it was in the commercial, and it was basically uh, it was really cool. It was basically some kids in a neighborhood like running from house to house, like, "Hey, he's gonna do it! He's gonna do it!" Like trying to, you know, round them all up to go check out what was going on. And they all meet up at this other kid's house, and it's a kid in a wheelchair using the adaptive controller to beat a high score or beat a level or something. And he does it, and they're all cheering, right? And then I was like, oh, well, that's a, you know, it's a really creative way to do it. It's, yeah. uh, it, it was, there were like 20 kids, like, all rooting him on, right? So, yeah, I mean, it, it's um, it's clearly um, important in the, in the space. Yeah, uh, you know, games... Video games are just about my favorite thing in the whole wide world. And the idea that that if something happened tomorrow, you know, my friend, he lost, he more or less indefinitely has lost the, the use of the left half of his body. He cannot use a controller that requires two hands anymore. Uh, it's just not an option. But now there are like today in 2018 there are way more options than there have ever been and so with that adaptive controller uh what you've got if you look at it it's it it, it looks like a gamepad it looks like an extra wide laptop with two humongous buttons giant buttons yeah. on it it looks like um it reminded me of the dj hero uh controller yeah it's like big spin bin, skirt, spin spin pad yeah uh i great game you know way. maybe they they need to make a a plug-in for that that's just the, uh, mm-hmm. the what's it called? The track, the, turn the table. table. Yeah, the yeah. turntable. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's this pad with these two comically large buttons on it, and then on the back side there are 19 3.5-millimeter uh, headphone jacks mm. in it, which are the universal plug-in for any sort of uh, disability peripheral. Uh, so you can – every single one of those buttons, every single one of those uh, slots, rather – um, corresponds to right trigger, you know, all right bumper. Yeah. yeah, but then every like all the even the little things like R R three or even like uh, what's well, like actually that's funny. I, I guess I was thinking of the PlayStation or the PlayStation uh, pad where it has all sorts of things you can do with that pad, slide and push on the left and right and all this stuff. But uh, all nineteen of these buttons can be mapped to something, and you those peripherals can be joysticks. They can be uh, buttons that almost look like, you know, like if you ever break your finger and you wear that thing, mm-hmm. the, like the cast, yeah, around your finger. Uh, it kind of looks like that with a button on the end. Um, you can hook up pedals to it, all sorts of stuff. Just any peripheral that's out there, you can hook up to this thing. Uh, and it's interesting when I was looking at how this thing was made, uh, back in 2015, there was that hackathon that a bunch of the Microsoft engineers were involved in. And the point of this hackathon was to create a controller that could use all of these third-party peripherals that were definitely not designed to, to work in conjunction with it. And they had such success with it that they came back in 2016 and did the same thing and tried to refine it. And then in 2017, Microsoft was like, uh, we should do this for real, like for real, for real. 
Um, and that is such a huge deal because in the past, um, the only way that as a disabled gamer you could get a hold of a controller that worked halfway decently for you was to either pay a whole lot of money or put up with some janky throw, duct tape together kind of contraption. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, sometimes it wouldn't be recognized. A, a game wouldn't rec- you know, maybe this thrown together thing you have works in one game or one platform or one app but not another and uh that's an issue because you're basically at the whim i mean as a disabled gamer you'd feel like an afterthought yeah basically prior to this you know crazy awesome controller i envision um disabled gamers basically like the people who on twitch who use weird controllers to like See yeah, how like far the, they can get a game, like, like a Guitar the DK Hero. Bongos. Yeah, the DK Bongos and Overwatch <laughs> yeah. or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you have you have to find some contrived way to play. Yeah, uh, and and it just it's tough because um, well, it's tough for a whole lot of reasons. But to see someone as big as Microsoft say, "Hey, we're going to take this seriously, and we're going to make this thing that works with everything. We don't need to go to each developer and get them on board." They're on like this will work for everybody, and that is such a huge deal. Um, also, making the, the adaptive controller is a hundred dollars for the base piece, and then you know any peripherals would cost extra, obviously. But um, you know, not every gamer needs every piece. So building a foundation, building a model that is exactly as customizable as you need it to be, is fantastic because the people, especially with motor functions, who have different disabilities it is not one size fits all at all so uh you know maybe someone well you know what let me back it up a step uh let's talk about the different ways of impairment um that can hinder you from gaming uh so like that let's start with the easiest one uh colorblindness so a sensory impairment which would be sound or uh vision mm-hmm. the easiest one is colorblindness um which I'm, affects like a huge percentage of yeah of gamers and i think uh males it affects even more so yeah it's uh one in 12 men and mm. one in 200 women mm. um you know and i know a bunch of people who well i think they're all guys when after i had heard that stat and i was thinking about it i know a bunch of guys who have color and blindness of different types um and you know sometimes it doesn't matter but sometimes it does and I'll tell you, I, I don't even suffer from colorblindness. And in Overwatch and League of Legends, once someone recommended that, they were like, hey, it doesn't matter if you, you know, if your vision's fine, just try this because it's going to make it easier to see. And it absolutely <laughs> did. Um, and so what colorblindness is, there are lots of different, lots of different kinds. I did not realize that until a few months ago when Overwatch actually added their colorblind modes because they have the names of them and I didn't write them down. I can't remember what they are, but uh, like one starts with a D. It's T. They're they're red, blue, and a red, yellow, and kind of green. I'm probably messing that up, but uh, there are several different kinds, and uh, there are several ways to solve this issue. So in League of Legends, what changed when I put on colorblind mode? Like basically every single thing stayed the same except health bars, and nameplates. So, you know, where before it was red and blue, I think after that it was red and green. And once I did that, it was so much easier for me to tell. Like, when people are casting spells and everything's going crazy, before I had changed it, I everything would blend together. It was hard to see. But when I turned on colorblind mode, it was much easier to tell those important pieces that I need to keep track of. You know, there's a lot going on. I don't, I don't need to understand everything, but I definitely need to see these important pieces. Um, and so League of Legends only changed those nameplates and health bars. Mm-hmm. Another solution is what Overwatch does is it provides a filter that covers the entire game. So when you change your colorblind option, every color on the entire screen changes at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be good, but also it can be not great. Uh, you know, I only need a few things to change. I don't need every single thing on the entire screen to change. I don't need the whole palette to be different. Um, and so there are ones that change that a little bit. But then have you seen these ones where it's like the whole screen is basically green and purple 
and that's it. I'll show you a picture after this. It's comical where every single thing on the entire screen is some shade of bright purple or bright green. And technically that could be helpful if you have a particular kind of colorblindness. But when you paint every single thing with that color, it stops being useful. Yeah. You know, so that's an example of, you know, maybe Blizzard would have benefited from a little more Q&A there or, you know, uh, (laughs) R&D. Well, I mean, at the same time, you kind of have to just give them props for making the effort. Oh, it's great. And right. there are some games that are amazing in one aspect, but just not helpful. So, like, if you're a visually impaired gamer, this one is great. But if you have any hearing impairment, you cannot play this game. So Overwatch is like that. If you have a hearing impairment, so much of that game is based off of audio cues. Mm-hmm. That it's basically not an option. At, to... the com- at the more competitive level, yeah. I mean, you can... You can play a lot of that game, but I, I definitely get your meaning. Yeah. So, you know, you can play it, but I mean, I've played without headphones before, and it's just like, oh, I guess I got hit by a Hanzo. Well, I yeah. didn't even know it was coming. <laughs> um, and that can be frustrating because if you're really trying, there was no indication anywhere on the screen that that was happening other than the sound. Um, so a solution to that is on Fortnite, if you're playing on mobile, there's a ring around your character that shows, uh, you know, like a lot of first-person shooters do, there's a direction and it kind of shows you where a sound's coming from, but also there's an icon on that, wherever that thing blinks up, that will tell you, oh, is that gunfire? Oh, is that an explosion? Is it footsteps? Mm -hmm. And that allows someone with a hearing impairment to play. Uh, That's super great because sometimes, if you're totally deaf, that's wonderful. If you only have a little hearing impairment, also wonderful. But if you're not playing on mobile, the only way that you can access that option is if you turn the sound completely off, if you disable sound. Mm. So if you're someone who only needs a little help, that sucks. That does not help you. Um, so there you only you get to choose one or the other. And it's cool that they took steps to, in that direction, but it would be great to see it go a little further. Um, and then there are some things like some games, uh, Uncharted, uh, is a good one where I, I hadn't really thought of it till this guy who was legally blind was talking about it. He's like, you know, a lot of people go to Uncharted because it's a beautiful game. But I'm legally blind. I don't care how good it looks. Like, if all that visual fidelity means nothing to me. What I need is for the enemies to be as easy to spot as possible. Like, I, I don't need them to be, like, easier to shoot. I just need them to be easier to identify. And he showed this, he demoed this, uh, like, actually in the game. You can turn this on in an option uh, mode where basically the whole the whole background becomes different shades of gray and white. Um, and then there are outlines of walls and, and items, objects in the world. But what's important is all the enemies are bright, like one color, one shade of red. And all allies are one shade of blue. And they're perfectly outlined. Like, yeah, if they're behind something, then you're not going to be able to see that. But anything that's visible, it's it's bright colored. And for somebody like him, that's the only way he wants to play because that allows him to properly play the game and see the important things he needs to see. That's something I never thought of. Like the idea of taking this gorgeous game and dialing it down to basically two colors. I wouldn't have thought of that. You know, so for him, that's what made that game amazing. That's what made it a game worth playing for him. But that wouldn't have crossed my mind, you know. And the fact that that was there for him to enjoy is amazing because it's an option in the settings. Not everyone has to play that way, but he has the ability to play that way if he wants to. Um, So there's a bunch of stuff like that, but options are amazing. Um, Have you guys played? Have you guys played any games like uh, Overwatch? You can customize a bunch of stuff like with your crosshairs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of games, especially PC games, like older PC games, where you can customize uh, just about any color. Like, uh, the, what was I playing? I think it's Planetside. I was playing Planetside actually on console, I don't know, a couple years ago. And there were there were like nine, there are three factions in there, and there are all these things within each faction that you can change a different color. And I actually found that I was running out of colors 
um, to do stuff. So I had to think in my head, like, okay, if this is one faction and this is another, I do want two colors for them. But, you know, it's just important that I know they're an enemy. So I'm going to make them similar colors Mm -hmm. so I can, like, conserve the colors of the rainbow so I can do other stuff. But the fact that that game gave me total control over all the colors felt so good because I, I could, you know, I had little problems that probably a lot of other people would not have. So I could fix it in a way that I chose. And just besides that being useful, it felt empowering because I felt like I was totally in control, which was great because I was bad at that game. So I didn't <laughs> feel in control very often. Never really played much Planet Side, but well, always heard good things. Uh, I don't know. It's I, I played mean, it again for a free MMO or whatever. Yeah, it's cool for free game. Uh, it definitely seems like a PC game <laughs> after getting my ass kicked a lot on console. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, have you guys played any games like that that really that stuck out to you that you got to customize options like that or put on some weird visual settings that you had never seen before? Can't say I explore it too much. Yeah, it does make me kind of wonder. Um, with all the games where you can customize your character and outfits and whatnot, um, how well do those adapt to the various mm-hmm. modes for uh, accessibility? Yeah. Whether it's, you know, vision or, or color or, you know, hearing for when there's, um, you know, like noise, um, like voice lines and things yeah, like that. Yeah, cues right? and stuff. Right. Uh, like when you do it, when you do a, 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 um, an emote in Overwatch and you, your character says something, does it put text on the screen? I don't think no. so. It Can you even turn on subtitles in Overwatch? Uh, I don't think so. I don't know. You know what? I don't know. And right? that's a good question. Right? So, I don't know. I mean, it's just like... Um, I wonder if you can. I don't know. Man, it, I, I don't know if uh, I've ever seen it. There, there are a few games that I play so heavily that I, I venture into those settings. I never really explore them. Uh, but... It, it makes me wonder whether, you know, generally the, the fringes of content in a game are mm-hmm. as accessible, even even when the mo- those modes are available mm-hmm. um, to to all gamers. And, of course, it's never going to be possible to to provide the yeah. full experience, right? Well, you gotta, but, you got to pick your battles, but yeah. uh, there are a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I'll bring up cognitive impairments, you know, in a little bit, but... Uh, the VAT system from Fallout was an example that Mark Brown, this YouTuber I watched a bunch of videos from, who's great. Uh, he he showed that like in a game that can be fast-paced all the time, if you struggle with that pace and you just need to dial it back, the VAT system, besides being a cool gameplay mechanic, turns, you know, in his words, it turns a fast-paced game, a shooter, into almost a turn-based kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I'm sure that they didn't do that because of accessibility, but it's a nice perk to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even find that when I get stuck, you know, when I'm getting overwhelmed by stuff and I'm just like, I just need to dial this back for a second. Um, that's a cool thing that like Fallout is known for. It's a unique feature. And also it allows a lot more people to play their games, you know, because it's not just the typical shooter. You know, it's got an extra system on it that makes you, it allows you to play in a different way. Or you could play without it. You could play through all the Fallout and never use VATS. Um, but again, those options, they aren't even on purpose all the time. But it, it's great to have them. Um, do we want to pause for a second? Yeah, let's do it. Hello, this is Ray from the Heroes Podcast Network. And I am here to tell you about Screen Heroes. Do you love superheroes? What about superheroes in film and TV? How about weird rankings like top five lists or maybe three people just arguing about top five lists? Either way, we are the podcast for you. Check us out every Tuesday night live on Twitch or subscribe to Screen Heroes Podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Spreaker, and Google Play. Now, back to your regularly scheduled podcast. So, uh, took a quick break here. I uh, wanted to call out that our, our one of our partner podcasts is doing a huge award show. Uh, it will have aired last night when this podcast, or it was a live show uh, last night when this podcast releases on Wednesday. Uh, our very own um, Michael Madsen actually is partaking in that show. And I've done, what, seven people? And me too. You're in it? I'm in it. 
How many people are in this this everybody effing, effing podcast? <laughs> it's a lot of people. Guess who wasn't invited? <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's um, going to go crazy. It was like two hours long. A um, bunch of different categories. Everyone's picking their, their favorites across uh, a ton of genres. Um, so check it out. Uh, should be a really good show. Yeah, it's how, that's how I discovered the Heroes Podcast Network, actually. Was a last uh, year. award show? It was, yeah, this award show last year. Oh, nice. Yeah. So uh, make sure you tune in for our awards show, which is not happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe next year. Uh, game of the year goes to... I'm kidding. I don't... <laughs> no game of the year. <laughs> game sucked this year. I, I don't even remember a single game that came out. No. <laughs> no. No. All right. Well, maybe next year. Game of the Year's Rocket League. Like, third year in a row. It's crazy. Weird. Shut her down. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so uh, Thomas was, um, you know, talking about some of the finer points of uh, um, some of the things that, that developers put into games to make games more accessible. Um, very cool. I... Uh, I want to I want to sort of raise the um, the not counterpoint, but just some questions that would I think naturally come up from sort of a philosophical level, um, and not necessarily that these are my viewpoint, but just for conversation's sake. Um, what what duty or obligation do you think that developers, uh, whether software or hardware or anything else, have to to make gaming more accessible and to provide some of these things that we've seen? Uh, you know, gaming has always been looked at as uh, sort of an escape, you know. Uh, yeah. Maybe you're busy at work and you want to get away. I use it as an escape. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, when when you escape, there are, a lot of, there are a lot of different ways or a lot of different things you can fill that time with um, that can make that valuable to you. Uh, I was playing Stardew Valley earlier today. It's nice to, like, feel productive in something that doesn't actually mean anything but it's something I want to do and I want to invest in time in and it has a good feedback and it's relaxing to me. You know, it feels good. And it's fun. Uh, other things, you know, it could be a power fantasy. You could play Spider-Man um, and fly around the streets, you know. And if you're someone who uh, is in a wheelchair all day, that sense of mobility is empowering, you know. And, and there are a whole bunch of things like that. Uh, you, can, you can be people... And do things that you cannot do, you know, on your own. And when, you know, if if video games are a great outlet for me, but I already got it pretty good, you know, the people who need video games the most, the irony that they are the ones that are the least, uh, you know. Catered to. At or least or... catered to. They're, you know, it, years ago, like, the, I remember when Colorblind, when I saw my first game, that had colorblind in it. I mean, I couldn't tell you what it was, but I remember thinking like, oh, wow, yeah. I didn't even I didn't even realize colorblind people couldn't see everything. Certainly didn't consider it. You know? And so uh, the fact that, you know, like Cuphead, uh, if you've seen it, Mark Brown used this as an example, and I have, I've had it stuck in my head all day. Cuphead has these bosses that will shoot projectiles all the time. Most of them are the color blue, um, and they're pink ones that will hurt you if they hit you, but you can parry them. You can do a special thing, and uh, you get health back from them. But if you're colorblind, there is not a difference between the pink and the blue. They both look kind of grayish, bluish. And that game, like, I could recommend a game to my friend, and he would say, oh, I'm colorblind. And it's like, oh, well, I guess you just won't play this game. It sucks, you know. And the fact that that would be such a simple thing for, like, if, if it was thought of ahead of time instead of afterwards... Easy peasy, never even comes up. Everybody can play this game. You know, there's no reason that someone shouldn't be able to play a game because of someone's lack of foresight. You know, uh, games are something that are universal, that we can all share. And the more people that can be included in them, the better. Like when, when people go to gaming, they don't do it just so they can have another way to feel different and left out, you know? Yeah. So being able to enjoy these things that so many people, you know, share. Sharing those experiences is important because a lot of people who suffer from disabilities fundamentally cannot partake, you know, they can't participate in experiences that a lot of people take for granted. 
absolutely. Um, so I guess kind of what I'm hearing is um, that developers should participate it participate in this because it's the right thing to do, but not really anything harder, more concrete than that. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I mean, so like, do is there any sort of obligation if I'm if I'm a you know if I'm a Joe director at Blizzard? Um, do I have a responsibility to make sure that the latest, you know, new game idea um, contains certain options for certain groups of disadvantaged people? Oh, absolutely. You know, if you're in that position of power that you can, like you can enable other people, you know, it is a, especially as technology gets to a point where it is right now and where businesses have access to the ideas and the uh, the conversations that now involve people with uh, disabilities in a way that didn't exist 5, 10, 20, 30 years ago, you know, to hear those conversations and to not make your game accessible in obvious ways that it could have been, it is a choice, you know, to not enable those people. Mm -hmm. Um, And to make the choice not to enable those people and include them, you know, Mm -hmm. why even make the game? Well, I mean, so this is a, I mean, I think the counter there is, um, there's a little bit of, of logical fallacy in what I'm about to say, but it's, it's also contains a lot of truth that um, if the option is make a game that is accessible by the most, you know, number of people uh, versus making a, or I guess what I should say is if the option, if, if they have to, to include that, then maybe the, na- the game never gets made at all. So this would mostly be, you know, smaller developers, right? If, well, that's, if you that's it... why you would want to work with a consultant firm who can tell you those ideas because usually, so just like the, the guy, uh, he's on Sony's board of directors, I think. He's, he was one of the, um, he, he's one of the head guys at Naughty Dog. Uh, this is his whole idea of it's not expensive if you plan for it. So if you plan your game with those things in mind, then they're not obstacles. You know, if you make your game and then halfway through, Someone tells you, hey, yeah. actually, this is a great. We need to revisit this whole thing. Well, then it's an obstacle, yeah. you know. And if you had just, if you had had the right ideas at the beginning, you could have totally sidestepped them so that they, they never came up. Um, you know, and they're like big games can do this, small games can do it. Uh, the biggest problem, like the biggest real hurdle, is that usually a developer doesn't think about it until they've already spent a lot of time yeah. and money on something that they're like, oh, if I would have known this six months ago, mm-hmm. you know. I'm, 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 I'm going to absolutely agree that, um, you know, in, in, in all sorts of business, you know, this or anything else, um, plan, planning, right, proper planning saves you, you know. Every, it, there's some project management uh, saying that says something like every dollar spent on planning is uh, $10, $10 in implementation down, down yeah, the yeah. line, right? Um so I certainly agree with that, and and definitely with if you plan for it up front and you build your game around that, it it has to be easier, right? Mm-hmm. Get everything in front of you right away. But think, but also, I mean, I, I have to argue that that planning for it can could feasibly limit creativity, right? Yeah, I mean, you got to have drawbacks like an Overwatch. Their game could not exist the way it exists if they changed it to cater to. Uh, deaf gamers. Well, I would, I would, I would pick a different game, right? Because there's probably creative options that big companies can use, right, for all sorts of games like that. The audience is so huge for Overwatch that they absolutely would want it, and and even the game itself, I, I think, doesn't necessarily lend itself to the arguments. Think about uh, Journey. Mm-hmm. Remember the game on PS3 that was yeah. just it was crazy as I don't know. Um, that game, I don't even know if there are really good options. for for accessibility because it's it's entirely built around the combination or at least a lot of the 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 game is built around the combination of sight and sound mm-hmm. and the sort of experience that that gives you and maybe there's a way to, to recreate that but if that developer went into that game thinking i need to be building this for blind people i need to be building this for deaf people could he could that person could that creativity even become expressed in the way that we ended up getting it well, that's that's absolutely the difference between an average developer mm-hmm. and a great developer, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and and like that kind of thing. It's it, it's like going out to eat. It's the argument that like if you can't afford to tip your waiter, you shouldn't be going out to eat. Yeah, and it's like if you can't afford to 
like really take the time to include people at the beginning steps, especially when a lot of those groups are asking to be included. Like yep. they want, it's not like you have to pull their, you know, you know, pull their arm to, to get them to work with you. They want to be heard. And especially as advocacy groups, they want it to be as easy as possible to not only give you ideas to think about, but also provide you with avenues to reach a solution. So, you know, if like there's some games like uh, there, there's besides colorblindness, you know, vision and uh, hearing, there are all sorts of motor impairment um, issues and cognitive uh, impairment mm-hmm, issues. Mm-hmm. So like uh, cognitive impairment could be uh, you have trouble with memory. So that's why games, uh, like if a game had a journal in it that told you what was going on, especially if you hadn't played it in a little bit, sweet. Like now that cognitive impairment you have, it's not nearly as much of a problem. Or if you have a map that shows you where you've been, where you're trying to go, instead of just basing it on memory and like, you know, just what you remember in your head and there's no hard record of it. uh, When you have that map, that mitigates that impairment and you no longer feel impaired. Uh, with motor controls, um, there are all the things I outlined with like, uh, well, actually, I, I don't even think I dove into them. It's it's games where, it, you know, if you have to mash the X button to open a door or something, uh, games, especially in the like PS3 and on era uh, have, have done that a lot. Um, there are plenty of gamers who just cannot do that. They yeah. physically cannot mash that button. Um, and that can be mitigated if in the software of a game, there's an option that says, hey, like, here's a dialog box I want to check. It says disability option. And it would turn that mash the X button into a just hold the X button, you know. Uh, but then there's some games where holding the X button is troublesome. So Mario Kart, you're holding the X button the whole time. Well, if that's going to hurt your hand, if you're going to cramp up, yeah, um, then you don't want to do that. But you could hit an option that's always go, yeah, you know. But... Uh, yeah, you know, so you have a lot of games that, that can pose their own problems, but they can also turn around and solve it. Uh, because with some games, the the issue or the, the solution that a developer has to a problem is to just make it easier. And that's not fun. You know, if the only solution was, oh, well, why don't you just put it on easy? Well, it's like, well, no, because I, because I don't need to. You know, uh, the one of the examples Mark Brown used was in... Um, in Detroit Become Human, there are ways you have to move the cursor in a really unusual way to select dialogue options. So it's not just like Mass Effect where you just, the game basically pauses and you have time to select your option. You have to do it in such a way, at such a speed, that it punishes you for not having motor control. But the problem isn't, you know, they force you to make a decision because your motor control is bad, but your motor control and your decision making are two separate things. You know, and same with puzzles that, like, with quick time events and stuff. Uh, you know, Resident Evil 3 was one of the first games I saw with real quick time events where out of nowhere you better press square because you were going to get impaled by the spike that you had no idea was coming. Mm-hmm. And if you're an able-bodied gamer, that, you know, even dying, you might be like, okay, that was crazy, but I got this the second time. But if you weren't, if you're still not able to beat it because you physically cannot hit those commands you know in the way that they need to then you're stuck there's not an option in that game to you know to auto you know now they have the options where you can just get through it you know it's a cool little cinematic and then you get to the end and now you can go back to playing but back then if you couldn't press the buttons you could not progress and so you effectively could not play the game uh you know and and so there's there's that there's uh sometimes you can't hold the the triggers and all this stuff. So uh, Xbox came out with the Microsoft Elite controller a while ago, which was designed for serious like mm-hmm. esports players, but had the added benefit of having uh, customizable uh, button mapping, yeah. which helped the disabled community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so that for them, it, it's funny to hear their statement on that because they they were upfront with it. They were like, "We did not intend to do this, but it was a great uh, you know secondary." lesson that we learned and oh, i then, wonder if that sort of inspired the idea to yeah because yeah. uh, they turned around and they were like well you know they had no idea that there was such a huge demand for button remapping but like across the game community at large but especially with the di- disabled community um so once they found that out you know that i think that was in 2015 might have been 2016 but that was right in that era where they were doing that hackathon 
um, and they, you know, made the the precursor to what we now know as the adaptive controller. Uh, but yeah, I just find that stuff very interesting. Um, you know, with Microsoft there, the clear issue was they just didn't hear it. You know, they didn't realize there was a need to be filled. And once they did, you know, they grabbed the bull by the horns and they fixed it. And that's great because in the past, it's been up to every developer at a time. It's a game by game by game cases, you know, case basis. And if if it was, you know, if, if the game, if they didn't think about it in development, you were out of luck. You probably couldn't play that game. Um, you know, and then, th- so there are lots of apps on, programs on PC that can emulate certain things like emulate colorblind mode. So when you're making a game, you can see for yourself what a colorblind person would see and stuff. Anyway, there are just a lot, of, a lot more tools these days because people are a lot more aware of it than they used to be, uh, which is great because honestly, that was one of the biggest hurdles in the past was people just didn't think of it. I never did, you know, and if I was getting paid money to make a game, I would have probably gotten to the end of it and realized, oh boy, my friend over here who's colorblind, he can't even play this thing and I don't know what to do about it, you know, and I'm a small studio and I can't afford to fix this. The game's already out, mm-hmm. you know, um, so we're, we're moving in a good direction uh, where it's easier than ever for people to enable other gamers. Um, and it just takes a lot less effort. Like it's going to be hard to make the game you want to make while also pleasing everybody. Um, but the more people we can allow to play our games, the better. Yeah. Um, you know, and just to, to, to think about that stuff uh, can also make you design in ways that are unique, like VATS, for example. Uh, I'd never seen that in a, in a game. And I don't think, you know, like I said before, I don't think they did that because it was making the game accessible. But knowing what we know about it now, that would be a cool system to put into a game if people had struggled with something, mm-hmm. you know, but you'd have to do that in the planning phase. Cause that's not the kind of thing you had uh, at the end. Um, so yeah. Yeah. No, good point. Um, <clears throat> so um, I guess kind of one, one last question um, from, from my perspective, uh, would you consider that um, representation in gaming? And this is, this is really broader across, Across any sort of medium, but representation in gaming is part of the accessibility. So what I mean by that is, in a game, um, do you feel the same way about having disabled characters and, you know, representation of the you uh, know, various... I would say I don't feel it, that... Is it all part of the same conversation? Uh, well, it depends on what kind of disability you have, um, because it's hard for me to speak on it, because... Really what I care about is that people feel included and I don't know if that is something that people want. If it is, then I'm for it, but I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth because I'm not sure if that's, you know, I'm not sure if someone in a wheelchair wants more protagonists in wheelchairs or even just, you know, side characters or just representation. Um, I could imagine they could. What I do agree, what I do believe is, is representation like in Red Dead, you can basically only be like three ethnicities Mm -hmm. um and you know the character creation isn't like that robust in that game but that's also a character creator game that i'm talking or you know the online that i'm talking about uh but certainly that kind of representation matters uh and i mean i could talk about that stuff all day uh but i just care that people who have i i want people who feel like they don't have a voice to have a voice um and it can be harder for disabled people more than any other group to find that voice and to be heard. Um, because, you know, sometimes they have to go through adv- advocacy groups, so they have to rely on others um, to spread their message. They can't do it themselves. Um, so, yeah, uh, to a certain degree, yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, maybe someone in a wheelchair, for example, this is just an easy one for me to pick out of the air, uh, Maybe they want to feel empowered in their games, so they're not trying to play someone who's in a wheelchair. But maybe they are. Uh, but that's the importance of advocacy groups because you don't know what you don't know, and uh, you just need to go ask those people um, because they'll tell you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I like that stuff. Uh, some other funny things I was telling you guys before the show. Um, <laughs> Mark Brown had a whole, basically a whole episode on subtitles. 
and best practices. Uh, so if you watch closed cap- captioning on TV, it doesn't matter if it's a sitcom, uh, a comedy, a football game, a commercial. There's pretty much a standard for subtitles across all of television. Um, video games don't have that at all. And uh, he really went, you know, piece by piece on like the best practices of of subtitling. And that's the kind of thing you definitely take for granted until it's bad. You know, so with with game subtitles, if you're looking over here and someone behind you is speaking, but a lot of the people have similar voices, you can't tell who's speaking. You can't, you know, the dialogue means nothing to you now. Or if you're in a firefight and the subtitles, instead of being in little bits in the middle of the screen, they stretch all the way from the far left of the screen, all the way to the right side, and you're in the middle of a firefight and you're trying to look off to the side of the screen to read this text and then you still can't even see who's talking. Uh, Borderlands has the worst subtitles of any game I have ever, ever seen because the text stretches all the way from side to side. If you're playing Borderlands 1 in co-op, the screen is uh, split vertically so the words can't even fit in the box. You cannot read the dialogue. Uh, And then like the white like the the font is way too small like it is very hard to read um it blends in with some of the backgrounds like everything that could be wrong with those subtitles is totally wrong with the subtitles another thing that i hadn't thought of till he said it was you know when you have subtitles on in a game and you can see what they're about to say before some dramatic thing happens you know so if somebody's in the middle of speaking and somebody's like well what was that but nothing's happened yet and then there's an explosion. But you can see the words, what was that explosion? Like five seconds before the explosion. That's bad subtitling, you know? Um, so there are tons of ways that that could be standardized. But in video games, that doesn't exist. You know, television has a bunch of different practices and movies and all this stuff. But gaming doesn't have that. So it's no man's land hoping that your dev just did it right. You know, because they might be make, designing subtitles on a computer right in front of them, you know, two feet in front of them, but they're not looking, they're not trying it on a TV across the room. And the kind of, like the people who need subtitles, they need subtitles. They have to have them. And so you need them huge and in a font that's easy to read. Uh, and maybe in, in, you find a way to be able to read white letters on a white background. There's some games that put like a, gray box behind the text so you can always discern it from the background there are a bunch of ways to do it but you you have to plan for it you just have to because if you try to go back later that's gonna that's a lot of work you'd have to do patching it in uh if you had to you know if you had to change the color of the font because there were two important scenes in the whole game that you know were had a white background and you couldn't read them it's stuff like that you just got to plan for it and then it's not a problem well not a problem. It, I mean, there's a cost associated with everything, right? <clears throat> but certainly proper, proper planning can uh, alleviate that. Absolutely. Or assist. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that stuff's all cool. Uh, what else do I know? Um, oh, I, I thought it was interesting. Um, there was a guy, I would have to look up his name, but he, he was actually the first guy whose videos I watched. He's the legally blind dude that i had uh mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. he he was talking about um games that are extra accessible for the blind and he was saying that in mortal Kombat and injustice who have the same developer uh the sound cues are so thorough in there that if you're wearing headphones you can basically play the entire game at a competitive level Hmm. without being able to see the screen which is insane that is insane uh, so everything from like what each character is doing to uh, in the background of Injustice, you can press a button to like interact with the environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it said that if you're wearing headphones, it will ping in whichever ear. Like it, it said, if it's in the left ear, that means that you have an object that you can interact with. And if it's in the right ear, your enemy has one. Um, so just stuff like that, that never would have crossed my mind. But the fact that they added that, they thought about it, and added it so blind players can play at a competitive level because it's so complete. That rocks. That, that is, is cool. dope. Yeah. Uh, so I love that stuff. Um, so anyway, all that stuff, it makes me so happy that 
uh, when my buddy Josh asked me what, you know, he wasn't even sure if he was going to play any games anymore because some games you have, you know, now he's limited to things that either only require one hand mm-hmm. um, or have other ways like the adaptive controller where maybe he could use pedals, he could do all this stuff. Um, this isn't something he would use, but there's the quad stick. I never knew the name of it. It's what you'll see for players who are quadriplegic. You've probably seen videos on the internet over the years where there's like this straw that you can mm-hmm. sip on or puff on. And depending on your lip position, it corresponds to buttons in the game, which mm. is science fiction to me. That mm-hmm. is crazy that that's a real thing that exists. Um, but, uh, you know, so he's not going to use that. But the fact that these things exist is amazing. You know, uh, I love these things. And I want to share them with everybody. And if the reason I couldn't share them was because the hardware or the software weren't compatible, that would suck. Um, so it just makes me happy that there are way more options now than there ever have been. Uh, and it's only going to get better. So uh, I can't wait for probably the next console generation, if I'm being honest, to see uh, Sony and maybe Nintendo's iteration on that. Who knows? Nintendo kind of does whatever they want all the time. Uh, but I'd certainly like to see something like the adaptive controller from Sony. I would love that. Yeah. Um, I mean, whole, whole other can of worms with the fact that um, with things like motion controls and things like that, that that's not particularly accessible. Uh, well, some of them, uh, some games that have motion, that are motion controls, you can also substitute uh, individual, like you can play with just a mouse mm-hmm. um, or you have other options. But the options are important because... Yeah, if, uh, you know, like some VR games, if you are someone in a wheelchair and the game's like, hey, turn around, <laughs> you can't. Right. You know, so if there are options like a quick turn, mm-hmm. um, then that's great. But that also poses problems like motion sickness uh, that were really a problem when VR was first starting out. Um, but, you know, no no problem is without its unique obstacles. Um, but the fact that these are on the radar of big names is miles ahead of where we were a decade ago so that's all i pill from here cool well that was a that was a fantastic overview thanks for uh let me talk for yeah, 30 minutes of course all right so uh we're gonna wrap up here shortly but what's coming up guys uh we got the game awards with jeff Keeley uh this week actually you know what while i got his name is jeff Keeley a celebrity uh yeah actually jeff Keeley. Wait, do you know who Jeff Keeley is? No, I don't know who that is. Oh, you should check him out. He is like, he's almost the most involved person in the gaming industry that I know of. Wow. Uh, he's done a ton of work and everything. Actually, he he put together the E3 accessibility panel hmm. that I watched uh, with the, well, with a whole bunch of disabled gamers. And uh, Jeff Keeley is really great for gaming, and he puts on the game awards, and uh, it's always a spectacle, one way or another. There's always lots of goofy stuff. Last year, there was a, the guy who made. Uh, what was the game where two people break out of prison? They're not brothers, but they're friends. A Way Out, I think it's called. Well, that came out last year, and the the president of that studio was on stage with Jeff Keighley, and he was wasted. <laughs> and Jeff Keighley could not get him off the stage quick enough. I felt so bad for that guy because somebody did not keep that dude in check, and Jeff was just – he only realized it when it was too late. He straight up told him, he goes, if you don't stop talking, I'm going to run the trailer, and you're – you're going to miss your whole pitch because <laughs> the guy was trying to pitch his game. And Jeff's like, you have to, you know, shit or get off the pot here. Uh, but I'm excited. I really like the game awards. Um, they'll have all that stuff. We'll talk about it next week. Uh, I'm sure Jeff Keighley will mention Hideo Kojima like 18 times like he always does. So watch out for that. Um, but yeah, we'll discuss that stuff. And then here as we close out the rest of the year, probably we'll talk about our favorite games of the year. Uh, if we felt like it, uh, Derek had told us that in the, in the past, um, they would go through their expectations of the, you know, hopes and expectations for the coming year and uh, revisit uh, what they said the previous year. Mm. So I think it'd be kind of fun if we went back and listened to their last one yeah. and uh, chit-chatted about we it a little just bit. tear them a new one. Absolutely. You guys are so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking? So anyway, uh, thanks again, everybody. This was definitely a unique episode. We've never done this before, so... Uh, if you get tired of the sound of my voice, just uh, actually let us know, seriously, because I don't want to do this again and realize that everybody hates it. Just hit pause, come back later. <laughs> yeah, so thanks right. again, everybody. Yep. And next week on The Thomas Show. <laughs>
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.